This podcast is brought to you by Watch City Research, your user research partner. Check out WatchCityResearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 97 UX Things podcast. This is Dan Berlin, your host and editor of the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know. Today with, with me is Christina Hupner, uh, who wrote the visual, Visualize Requirements During a Workshop uh, chapter. And today we're going to be discussing her career trajectory and her chapter. Uh, so thanks for joining me today, Christina. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's uh, fantastic to have been part of this project. Excellent. So yeah, if you could just take a moment and introduce yourself to uh, folks. So I, as Dan already said, I'm German, but have been living in Aotearoa, New Zealand now for um, almost 11 years. And I've really enjoyed living in the country and working with the team at Catalyst and where we develop open source software. And so my career trajectory is was didn't really follow the uh, follow a straight path. So I studied North American cultural studies, German as a foreign language and political sciences at TU Dresden in Germany. And then went to LMU München and after that to the University of Luxembourg. And all of that really in more of a language learning humanities capacity, studying or working at the universities before I then took the plunge into a company and moved to New Zealand back in mid-2010, working with a software development team, so something I had never done before. And it's been fantastic to have had that opportunity and since then working with the team. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And can you t tell us um, a little bit about your career trajectory? So how did you, you know, break into UX and wind up where you are today? Mm -hmm. um, at Catalyst, I actually don't really do UX. UX is kind of one of the many hats that I wear. So like, like many of us, um, I do a lot of things in the company via an open source company. And therefore, while we do all have job titles, oftentimes it ends up that we do a lot of different things. Mm. And so being the project lead of an open source project, um, I lead the project, do product management, and the community facilitator for it, but also work very closely with our clients that are using Mahara um, in my capability of, yeah, areas of um, relationship management, project management, training, facilitating workshops, doing sales, and so on. And there, of course, the UX element always flows in. Because when mm. we discuss requirements of a client, what they want to do in a project or how they can use the software, we always need to consider usability, business analysis, and how can how can we also develop the software and always improve on using it, working with it, and making workflows easier. So kind of UX is part of all that I'm doing in a way, even though I don't have the title of UX designer. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing that a lot more uh, these days from product managers who have to mm. consider the UX of the product and work cl more closely with designers uh, to, to to get their product out. Yep, exactly. And that's what we've definitely seen over the last, um, I would say, roughly eight years more than a little mm. bit before then. 
because before then it was really the developers make decisions um, and took along with the clients looking at functionalities, but then it became more apparent, well, we do also need to look at the other side. And that is when in my eyes, UX also became more important and more prominently seen in the industry and more recognized as, yes, this is important um, to us in order to develop good software that people want to work with and um, therefore also stick with it. Yep. Do you, do you have any advice for other product managers out there in terms of bringing UX into the fold, into their lives? Just do it. As, just do it. Just just do it. Work, work with the UX team. Um, if you're lucky to have a UX designer directly on the team, um, keep them. Um, even if it is maybe just part-time and also make sure that you have a graphic designer on the team um, mm. because software needs to look cool, needs to be, be friendly to use. And uh, what we sometimes do, because our team is, is a relatively small one in the company and what we, so we don't have a dedicated UX designer, but we work closely with our team of uh, UX designers. And sometimes we just have very quick sessions with them. So some maybe even just a five minute, 10 minute, 15 minute conversation uh, in order to get their input on something quick. And then, of course, at other times when we are looking at larger features, then we need to have longer discussions in order to work out also how to make the software or how to keep it accessible or introducing a new feature that like drag and drop that might not be quite accessible for keyboard users or for um, anybody who who can't see and therefore looking into possibilities of making the software also be inclusive and available to others. And so for mm -hmm. that, we definitely need UX designers. That's wonderful. And it's wonderful to hear uh, accessibility being talked about at the, the product manager level. Uh, a lot of times it's designers fighting for that sort of mm -hmm. thing. And uh, it's wonderful to hear that. Yeah, for us, it is. Um, it needs to be built in um, yep. because we do want to make an, an inclusive software. And mm -hmm. of course, over the last, again, probably three, four years, it's become more prominently talked about. And it's fantastic to have those conversations and see more and more of uh, practices also have it there rather than just an add-on. And right. that is just really good. Yep, yep. Great. And so uh, moving on to your chapter. So your chapters uh, visualize requirements during a workshop. Uh, can you tell us uh, about your chapter? Uh, sure. Happy to do that. And um, it was actually a bit of an, not quite an accident, but happy happenstance to have the opportunity to run a workshop with a prospective client. And just a little while ago, before I had the first workshop, I had read Game Storming which is a O'Reilly book. And um, I, I picked the book because I really wanted to see how we can run meetings differently and not just go into a meeting, discuss a topic, people are sitting there, maybe listening, maybe not always listening, and then kind of leaving and that's it. And especially because for that client, we had proposed a workshop. I also wanted to run a workshop and engage people in it and not just have everybody sitting there and just being talked to. Yeah. And so the, that, that was kind of part of the goal, run an engaging workshop. And the second goal for that workshop was to make it clear what the software can already do, where a lot of the requirements from the client were already met um, out of the box, no development needed, where we might also need to adjust small things, so just little configurations, 
where there was a bit more development work needed, but we really already understood what was needed. And then the, the big unknown from the high level requirements where we just needed to have a conversation. And so being kind of, of really liking visualizations, I didn't want to stare at a spreadsheet because when I had seen the spreadsheet, it was just huge. Um, you would have needed to print it out on A3, just about in five point font size. And I found that wouldn't have really made for a good workshop. And that's when I remembered reading Game Storming, looked back at the book and thought, well, how can I make that more visual? How can I make that more engaging? And that's where the idea came up with the kind of index cards, really, um, where we have the categories of what is already known, where do we need a little bit of configuration, more development, and then where do we need to discuss things? And also sort all the requirements into those categories. Because when you have 100, 150 or more requirements, how can we keep them all in our head? And how can we actually talk about them in, say, a three or four hour workshop? It's simply not possible. And so what we wanted to do, of course, is focus on those requirements where we didn't have enough information. Because all the others, why do we talk about them when we actually know what needs to be done or that the software can do it? And so really make it clear, these are all the known things. And that's where the majority of the requirements fell into. And then the other categories had way fewer requirements. Therefore, focusing the attention on what really needed to be discussed. And that, was, that helped incredibly with the index cards. Um, initially, when we went into the into the room, because we, we went to Australia for that workshop and when we ran it for the first time and um, couldn't get into the room until about five minutes before the session started. And I was there sweating and thinking, oh, my gosh, how can we put our hundreds or 120 cards onto the table before the client comes in? Uh, but it worked out because it wasn't just me there. Um, I had a few colleagues of mine uh, coming along for the session. And so we just placed everything on the card. I had briefed everybody where I wanted things. And then when the client came in and they, they were a bit shocked, I felt, because there weren't any spreadsheets. There were no mm. big A3 printouts or so, but there were all these cards lying on the table. So we explained the concept, the idea of it, and they were all on board with it. And so that was... That was really good that everybody then who had come prepared with their own spreadsheets just set them aside and they went along with the idea, crowded around the table to see how we categorized everything. Because initially we also gave them time just to review the requirements and maybe even pick out some from the known category or from the little configuration one um, if they wanted to discuss them. Um, but then we could very quickly zero in on the elements that actually needed conversations. And so that definitely sped up the meeting. Uh, didn't just make it engaging, but also helped stay on track and not um, have to go beyond the initially scheduled meeting time, which was, of course, also very important. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about the actual facilitation of that workshop and how you facilitated that conversation and guided the conversation with, with the cards, uh, with the requirements? Mm -hmm. So while we had our categorization and the cards, so just make it a bit easier to, to talk about them, they were green for everything is known, um, yellow for 
some configuration needed de um, development was orange and then red for we need to talk about that so it's really using more of the traffic light analogy um, mm -hmm. for that but we didn't just code it with the colors but also um, so that everybody could see it by lying in the category that they knew where things belonged. So the double coding was important as well. And so um, the facilitation really was around me knowing beforehand what I wanted to talk about. And besides having the categories within those categories, we also grouped the requirements because some belong to, to certain areas so that we didn't have to talk about each and every requirement on its own, but mm. in the within the larger context. We um, put the requirements themselves on it, as well as our responses to the initial document, because it was a request for proposals, also kind of a tender conversation. And therefore, we wanted everything there so that nobody ever needed to look at a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. that, that was really incredibly important because that way we could focus the attention. And then I knew what I wanted to talk about. So I had also put some questions onto the cards so that I didn't have to look them up on a computer, but had everything on those cards. Yeah. And we started talking uh, with, with, the, with the entire group, we decided what was most important to the client to discuss. And that could have been from any category, but very quickly they zeroed in on the high-level requirements where they also had most questions around, well, how could the software handle those? And that then led to, to the conversations. And from there on, it just flowed into other requirements. And because we had grouped them in such a way that we always had them contextually together, it was a very um, organic conversation. I found. Mm -hmm. And and you said you wrote the questions down um, on the cards. Did, did were they exposed uh, just like the other items when when the client walked in, so they could see those questions when they walked in the room? Yes. So everything was on the card, and we purposely printed things on cardstock, so mm. that you could very easily pick up the cards, read them, and then put them back. And instead of just regular paper, which is very flimsy and gets crumbled and all of that. Um, so it was really good to have the card stock. So people picked up the cards and um, the, and read through the requirements. So the, the information that they had provided to us, then they could also read our response. And then uh, we also put in questions and that was all transparent because for for us working in an open source company, it is very important that we are transparent. Everybody can look at the code. Mm. Everybody can interrogate it, can install it and work with it. So there's not really any place to hide. And there, there wasn't a need to hide any of that because we wanted to have those conversations. And the, the questions were really just a prompt for me to ask them so that there was no point in, in hiding those. Yeah. And, and what mechanism did you use for the rating of the cards? So we, we put all the ratings that we had given the cards in the, in the spreadsheet on it as well. So whether it was compliant, partially compliant, non-compliant, um, just with abbreviations. And then when we discussed the card and ideally also moved it in the category. So from, from red, not known mm -hmm. at all to 
develop, now we actually know what we need. Then we had markers and just changed the category color, put it into the category so that when we pushed all the cards together, we could then also easily do the um, update the documentation and yep. not have to remember, well, what did we say? What did we not say? And it was also possible to, to then actually scribble on the cards themselves, um, make some changes there. And a colleague of mine also took some notes. So we then collated everything after the workshop in order to give an update, which was then, of course, done in a spreadsheet again, so that it followed the, the regular rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that actually uh, leaded, leads to a question I was going to ask of um, the the analysis and the compiling that data that you collected, uh, how did you go about doing that? Uh, we have to remember this was a, um, this was a workshop for an RFP. So a request mm -hmm. for proposal. So it wasn't the project start. And therefore all that we needed to do in this case was really to, to update the spreadsheet and gotcha. make, make sure that our responses to the questions were clear and were updated after that workshop. Because oftentimes when you're in an RFP conversation, uh, there are these high-level requirements that you could answer which, whichever way possible, because there's always a way that things could be done. And so the workshop helped us really narrow down, well, what is the actual thing that we need to get done in order to then provide a better estimate for the project. So at That's this wonderful. stage... At this stage, we didn't have to produce any wireframes or any extensive documentation, but really narrow the high-level requirements down to, say, more medium-level requirements. Gotcha. Having lived the agency life for some time, it's wonderful to hear hear that getting worked out before the the project is is started, because that's that's where all that work should be done. That's exactly, great. and we um, actually just um, last year I had another opportunity to run that that very similar work uh, similar workshop to that with another client, and there we also were again in an RFP conversation, and they specifically wanted to have a workshop in order to in order for us to give them um, a clearer pricing structure mm -hmm. and better pricing information um, yep. uh, rather than just kind of the ballpark that you in a way have to give in, in situations like that. And we followed exactly the same structure and that worked very well. Again, it helped us keep us on track for the workshop and we then use those cards again in the disc actual discovery phase when we went down to the detail level so that mm -hmm. it was a nice progression to see it through and be reminded what had we said and where are we now and and it worked very well with a in this case a smaller group of people in order to keep that focus on the the actual requirements but not having to look up the entire documentation and try to find it in a 20 40 or 50 page spreadsheet printed out or business analysis document. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks for all that. Um, <laughs> what we'd like to end the podcast with is a piece of advice that you'd like to convey to folks. So what's a, what's a piece of advice that you'd like to tell uh, either product managers or UXers uh, based on, on uh, your, your career? Don't be afraid of uh, breaking out of traditional structures for a workshop. If you want to do something different. Mm -hmm. Um. The, the last year in particular has shown to us that we can't always do the things that we wanted to do. And uh, in particular also has given us the opportunity to innovate and we should take that opportunity and do, think, do meetings differently. 
to workshops differently, have engaging conversations, and not be afraid to to change the format. And because we need to work more closely with people and need to have good conversations and just sitting in a chair around a meeting room and letting everybody talk or some people are not really engaged is doesn't always work so well. And so mm. we need to draw out the people that are oftentimes on the quieter side, but have lots of knowledge and are really important to have in those conversations. And when we have a workshop, actually do a workshop and not do a presentation um, or just give input. And so that, that is for me really important. And whether you find inspiration in a book for that or online, there are lots and lots of websites that have ideas of how to um, how to make engage or how to develop engaging meetings or how to to run workshops in a different way that might be more visual than you've been used to. Just give it a go. Run with it, pilot it. If it works out, refine it. Um, if it doesn't work out, Think about, reflect on it. Why did it not work out? Was it the group of people? Or might it have been the wrong activity for that crowd or any of that? And then give it another go with something different when you get the chance mm -hmm. again. Great. Do you have any activities that you, other, other activities that you particularly like or have been particularly successful with? I haven't used too many different ones. So the, the one I really also like is the script, which uh, which is described in the game storming book, which allow it's kind of a brainstorming activity. So where you start with one idea and then uh, branch out to others. Hmm. But it's basically really an idea that that works for you. Something that uh, can that that you can work with that makes sense to you. And that can be drawing on the flip chart or using the whiteboard and just dividing it into four uh, four quadrants and then write something on it rather than just trying to talk about it or using presentation software or really have cards and shuffle them on a the table. Lots of people these days, of course, like working with post-it notes and putting them up on walls. But sometimes they might fly off very easily. So what I tend to do is have the cards on the table instead and then have everybody crowd around and, and shuffle them around. So it really needs to make sense for you, I find, whatever method you choose. Mm -hmm. And just see if you can make it more visual or tactile and engage people that way. Yep, Tac tactile. Uh, getting people to do things and to move around the table and to do things is uh, agreed. It's just a wonderful way to engage them. Yep. Yeah, get people out of their chairs, even if it is just for a little while, and then they can settle back in again. And uh, maybe not go overly crazy, but kind of still keep it professional, but in a way that is still fun as well. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been hearing a lot of people using Legos and the, the whole mm -hmm. uh, Lego design situation. It's just a wonderful thing. Yep, that is certainly always fun uh, to use because people instinctively try to build something. And mm. so even if you give them just a small number of Lego pieces, somebody comes up with, with a beautiful idea even before workshop. So that can be a very good icebreaker. Mm. Yep. Wonderful. And it's all about getting those people to tell stories, right? Is to hear their stories in these workshops to 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 give that color to the the information you're gathering. Exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. So Christina, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been wonderful working with you, and I look forward to, to receiving the book. Excellent. Hopefully, you can, uh, you'll receive it soon in New, in New Zealand, and then it makes it over there. Uh, everyone else, you can go check out uh, 97 Things Every UX, Every UX Practitioner Should Know. Uh, pick it up at your local bookstore. And um, tune in for our next podcast, which will be with Becca Kennedy. Thanks for listening. The 97 UX Things podcast is a companion to the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know, published by O'Reilly, and all book royalties go to UX nonprofits. The theme music is Iron Lung by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I'm your host and book editor, Dan Berlin. Please remember to find the needs in your community and fill them with your best work. Thanks for listening.